Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. It's been 3,099 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 181 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, there wasn't any reported ground combat in northeast Donetsk, Kharkiv, Izum, or Kherson, which may be due to Russian staffing and supply challenges, or a stand-down order due to looming more significant attacks. Second, the United States Department of State warning from the embassy in Kyiv validates our assessment that there is a very high chance of multiple and significant punitive strikes against Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure planned for the week of August 22nd. Third, there is growing evidence that Russian forces on the Izum axis are suffering from ammunition shortages, hampering their ability to hold the current lines of defense. Fourth, we maintain the battlefront is frozen across Ukraine, and time is running out for both belligerents to launch brigade or army-sized offensives. And finally, the initiative will go to the first belligerent who can make brigade or larger-sized offensives on any front. Let's take a look at our regional updates. There wasn't any significant combat activity in the slovyansk bilohorivka berestova Triangle yesterday, so we'll start our updates for the Donbass region in Bakhmut. PMC Wagner Group and elements of the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, attempted to advance beyond the Naufjip's sheetrock factory on the eastern outskirts of Solidar. Russian state media agency Zveda released a video claiming that Russian forces were storming Solidar. We analyzed and geolocated the content of that video. The video was shot over multiple days based on weather conditions. A Russian tank advancing from the north toward the gypsum mine is destroyed in an early part of the video. It also shows a squad of indistinguishable soldiers walking through a street. Another clip showed a Ukrainian defensive position being shelled at the gypsum mine. Pro-Russian social media accounts claimed this content was proof of Russian troops within Solidar, despite the reporters and the supporting military units filming in the exact location from last week. Russian forces continued their attacks on Zaitseve, 10 kilometers southeast of Bakhmut. Two advances were attempted, 
a storming action and a reconnaissance in force assault, neither was successful. In the Svetlodarsk bulge, Russian forces only attempted an advance on Kodema, but failed to dislodge Ukrainian defenders. The settlements of Mayorsk and Shumi were shelled. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 9th. Grunts with guns take territory, and grunts with guns hold territory. The Russian military doesn't have enough well-trained and well-equipped grunts with guns to support multiple offensive operations near Bakhmut and Donetsk while reinforcing defensive lines in Zaporizhia and Kherson. The situation east of Soledar and Bakhmut has stabilized, but defending troops eventually must be rotated. In attritional warfare, Ukraine can't compete. The question is, does Russia have enough troops left to throw at Soledar and Bakhmut and write off the casualties? In southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia, the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, separatists attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka, north of Avdiivka, but did not gain any new territory. Separatist troops made another attempt to advance on Pervomaiske, but failed to improve their tactical positions. The village of Nevelske came under attack by DNR separatists who could not find a way to move through the exposed artillery-blasted fields. Avdiivka and Optin were shelled, but no attempts to advance into the settlements were made. Skirmishes in the area of Piski continued, with Russian state media releasing a video on August 22nd showing continued fighting on the E-50 ring road. Some quick assessment. The 1st Army Corps made their first advance on Piski on July 22nd. Despite multiple claims by the Russian Ministry of Defense, DNR military leaders, and Chechen leader Ramzan Kedirov that Piski had been captured, Russian forces are still fighting for control. Marinka was also shelled and hit by airstrikes, but there were only skirmishes within the southern part of the city. An ammunition depot in Rosdon was hit by rockets fired from HIMARS. The fire and secondary explosions created the largest NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, heat anomaly signature we have documented since the first HIMARS strike on June 25th. The Donetsk Ammunition Depot, destroyed in a HIMARS attack on August 21st, was also a barracks and transit hub. In an operational security failure, the base and its assets were featured in a video shared on social media on August 8th. The video revealed the location was the headquarters for the Pyatnishka Battalion formed in 2014. There are unconfirmed reports of a significant number of casualties. South of Donetsk, Russian forces continue to advance further into Novomikhailivka without success. On the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border, Russian forces attempted to advance on Zolotaniva again, but did not move the line of conflict. There are reports from reliable sources that Ukrainian forces have launched an offensive in the area of Polohi. Assessment here. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine has reported Kostyantanivka in Zaporizhia has been subject to artillery and airstrikes since July 27th. We're one of the last analyst organizations to map the settlement as under Ukrainian control. We've moved the line of conflict south, but consider the settlement contested. Ukrainian and Russian forces exchanged artillery, rockets fired from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, 
an indirect tank fire west of Velika Novosilka. Our assessment for the Donbass is unchanged from August 17th. You can find it in last Wednesday's episode around minutes 7 or 8. Let's move on to the Kharkiv region. On the Azum axis, Russian forces didn't attempt to advance in any direction from the city. Tradition returned northwest of Izum, with Russian forces shelling Husarivka, Shepil, and Nortsivka. South of Izum, Krasnopilia, Dolina, Mazanivka, Novodimotrivka, Bohorodichne, and Karulka were hit by artillery, rockets from MLRS, indirect tank fire, and direct fire from anti-aircraft guns. We have previously assessed that Russian ground lines of communication, known as G-locks or supply lines, were strained north and west of Izium and were under Ukrainian fire control south of the city. There were reports last week that the supply of ammunition was becoming limited on the axis. Anti-aircraft guns can be used as direct fire weapons on ground targets with devastating effects. However, the fielding of anti-aircraft guns in this capacity south of Izium indicates that Russian forces are experiencing ammunition or equipment shortages. Our overall assessment for the region is unchanged from August 8th, which we recapped in yesterday's episode around minute 12. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Looking now at the Dnipro, Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Zaporizhia regions, in Kherson, rockets fired by HIMARS hit the Antonovsky Bridge. There are unconfirmed reports that the strike occurred as a Russian column of supply trucks carrying ammunition was on the bridge. We can't confirm the claim's veracity, but pictures showed a large fire burning hours after the rocket attack. There were unconfirmed reports that a section of the bridge collapsed, while Russian sources claim that 15 construction workers were injured. They also claimed a ferry carrying civilians was traveling at the time of the strike and that two civilians were killed. In earlier situation reports, we analyzed videos and pictures from Russian state media showing civilians mixed with military vehicles on the makeshift ferries. Pro-Russian social media accounts claimed that Blahodatne in Mykolaiv was captured The Russian Ministry of Defense, however, did not report any territorial gain in Ukraine today. It is noteworthy that the general staff also did not mention Blahodatne in its reports today. We maintain the settlement is contested without further clarification from a reliable source. Neither belligerent reported fighting along the Kherson axis. A video showed Ukrainian ground forces destroying a Russian armored personnel carrier and infantry mobility vehicle on the outskirts of Blahodatyvka. We geolocated the attack at the southeastern corner of the village. We didn't move the line of conflict, but we coded Blahodatyvka as contested. An S-300 anti-aircraft missile fired by Russian forces to attack Mykolaiv failed after launch and crashed in Russian-controlled Zelenivka. Our assessment here is the same as it was on August 14th. With all four G-locks severed for Russian troops on the west bank of the Dnipro River, resupply will have to be done by barge, 
ferry, and helicopter. Carrying fuel, replacement equipment, artillery shells, and rockets will be challenging to sustain and support 25,000 soldiers. The first indication of supply issues is already emerging, with complaints online about drinking water shortages in supply drops and only receiving, quote, dry rations for meals. Another sign that supply issues have started is the S-300 missile attacks on Mykolaiv have ended. Suppress Enemy Air Defense, or SEAD, missions by Ukraine have helped limit the attacks, but a lack of supply of the larger S-300 anti-aircraft missiles is likely contributing to the issue. Russian Battalion Tactical Groups, or BTGs, are designed to operate for three to five days independent of resupply. Signs that the supply situation is getting more severe won't appear for weeks, but would include abandoned vehicles, increasing complaints about a lack of resources on Telegram, VK, and LiveJournal, looting for food and fuel, and a reduction in artillery fire among frontline units. With mud season imminent and the first snow in 45 to 60 days, complaints about a lack of cold weather gear, hypothermia, and low morale from living in the mud would be another indicator that the supply situation is worsening. There remain significant questions on when and if there will be a counteroffensive. An anonymous source close to the Ukrainian government told the Washington Post there would be no counteroffensive because Ukraine doesn't have the resources, saying, quote, We have to be honest. For now, Ukraine doesn't have a sufficient number of weapon systems for a counteroffensive. It's still possible to get a result. But if so, it will be the result of smart Ukraine strategy more than of countering Russia with equal power. End quote. The appearance of Czech hedgehogs in Kherson, Russian forces fearful of moving on the streets due to partisan activity, Russian commanders leaving the region, and local government and junior military officers occupying Kherson hospitals and schools to avoid HIMARS attacks all point to the same fact. Regardless of what we may assess or think, or what the Ukrainian government is saying, the Kremlin believes a counteroffensive is coming, and it will fight to hold the western half of the Kherson Oblast. In Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia, the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is unchanged. None of the parties involved in negotiations to allow inspectors into the power plant have set a date for when the International Atomic Energy Agency will arrive. There is a United Nations hearing planned for August 24th to review what was discussed in Lviv last week. On August 18th, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Turkey's President Recep Tayyip Erdogan to discuss demilitarizing the power plant and allowing the International Atomic Energy Agency to inspect the plant. On August 19th, the Kremlin reported that Russian President Vladimir Putin agreed to permit inspectors into Zaporizhia and for them to travel from Kiev. Enerhoatom accused Russia of reinforcing its military presence at the power plant, saying, quote, The Russians are gathering equipment on the territory of the Zaporizhia NPP and have increased the presence of their troops at the plant. On the 22nd of August, Two additional armored vehicles and six special trucks were deployed at the plant's repairs area. Enerhoatom claims that 40 pieces of military hardware are now within the plant's boundaries. We can't validate the veracity of the claim. 
Our analysts have counted 13 distinct military vehicles in different locations at the plant, reviewing videos, drone videos, and pictures. Ukrainian forces accused Russian troops of shelling the thermal plant in Enerhodar. A video showed the water feed lines damaged and a man slumped over in the driver's seat of a taxi with shrapnel damage. Some people may find this video disturbing. It is not suitable for work and viewer discretion is advised. We link to it in our full situation report available on Patreon. Russia denied involvement in the attack. A quick sidebar. In cities and larger towns in Russia and former Soviet territories, a centralized thermal plant commonly provides heat and hot water. Sometimes the plants also generate electricity, but can be dedicated to providing steam and hot water only. The system is not unique to Europe and Asia. Consolidated Edison in New York City operates the largest commercial steam system in the world, serving more than 1,700 businesses and residential properties. Valentin Reznichenko, Dnipropetrovsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Marinets was hit by artillery fire, wounding two people. Nikopol was not attacked with grad rockets for the first time in more than six weeks. North in the Chernihiv and Sumy region, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported a border skirmish involving light arms fire at an unspecified border village in the Shostka district. There were no casualties reported. The settlement of Seredina Buda was hit by mortars fired from across the international border and illumination flares. A fire was started near the sewage treatment plant, but didn't cause significant damage. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, two cruise missiles were fired at the previously disabled Zatoka Bridge southwest of Odessa. This is the sixth attack on the structure since March 14th, and the twelfth attack on the seaside resort town of Zatoka. The Black Sea Fleet has positioned three ships and one submarine capable of firing caliber cruise missiles within range of the Ukrainian coast. There remains significant concern that Russia will launch punitive attacks before, on, or after Ukrainian Independence Day, which is August 24th. A quick editor's note. There are so many reports of explosions in Russian-occupied Crimea that are unfounded or likely air defenses shooting at nothing that we've decided not to report on each incident. We will only report on confirmed attacks. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The United States Embassy in Kyiv has urged American citizens to leave Ukraine if they can. According to the embassy's website, quote, The Department of State has information that Russia is stepping up efforts to launch strikes against Ukraine's civilian infrastructure and government facilities in the coming days. The U.S. Embassy urges U.S. citizens to depart Ukraine now using privately available ground transportation options if it is safe to do so. End quote. The Kremlin is blaming Ukraine for the assassination of Daria Dugina, despite Ukraine's denials, and the Russian-based anti-Putin National Republican Army claiming responsibility. FSB released alleged documents, pictures, and videos claiming that a Ukrainian woman traveling with her child and cat rented a flat in the same dwelling where Dugina lived. She stayed for a month 
and then left Russia through Estonia in a different vehicle than she arrived. The passport photos they released, claiming the woman is a colonel in the Azov battalion, were deemed false by forensic analysts who found editing artifacts and clear evidence of manipulation in photo editing software. Shifting to assessment, though admittedly this straddles opinion, to believe the FSB story, you have to accept the following. Russia allowed a Ukrainian Azov battalion colonel who showed her ID to cross the border without issue for a one-month vacation. Despite tailing her every moment she was in Moscow and photograph and video recording her every move, she could still enter the festival hosted by Alexander Dugan without a pass and install a bomb in his SUV undetected. Then the FSB allowed her to detonate the bomb remotely and still didn't take her into custody, despite knowing the entire plan. She then exited Russia, driving a different car than she arrived in, which isn't permitted, into Estonia mere hours after the bombing. This story was confirmed, open and shut case, less than 36 hours after the bombing, including pictures and videos. Another problem, there are no women in the combat arm of the Azov Battalion, and there aren't any nor have there been any women colonels attached to the Azov Battalion or the 3507th Support Unit. But let's get back to the news. Polish President Andrzej Duda is in Kiev to meet with President Zelensky to discuss further support for Ukraine, including additional military aid. This is the fifth trip to Kiev for Duda since Russia's large-scale invasion. The Bayraktar TB-2 combat drone Lithuanians crowdsourced to purchase for Ukraine was used in combat for the first time. The drone attacked a Russian firebase at night, where two D-30 122mm artillery pieces were located with support trucks. The drone directly hit one of the D-30 artillery pieces, wounding at least two Russian soldiers. We link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. Some viewers may find the content disturbing. Turkey reported they sent 50 Kirpi mine-resistant ambush protection, or MRAP, vehicles to Ukraine, and more are on the way. The vehicles are designed to protect the occupants from anti-tank landmines and large improvised explosive devices. A government official said the MRAPs were, quote, used, implying these are Kirpi-1 models designed in 2008 and built between 2009 and 2018. Moldova and Ukraine worked collaboratively to reopen the Berezin-Basarabeyska rail connection. The completed upgrades have restored rail connections from the rest of Europe, bypassing the damaged Zatoka Bridge over the Dniester estuary. Ukrainian security service claims they captured two spies in the Donetsk Oblast who were sharing the location of HIMARS launchers and other intelligence with the Russian Ministry of Defense. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SSU, reported that the information gathered caused an attack on Selidove. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. You'll find timestamps in the description. Russian forces fired smirch rockets armed with cluster munitions 
into civilian areas of Zelenodolsk in the Dnipropetrovsk Oblast for the second day in a row. A woman was killed, and her husband was seriously injured in the attack when cluster bombs hit their home. The use of cluster munitions is not considered a war crime. However, intentionally targeting civilians with cluster munitions is. A Russian missile struck School No. 17 in Kostyantanivka, Donetsk. The city has been subject to frequent missile attacks since the offensive to capture Avdiivka started. Part of the school was severely damaged. The school was empty, and area residents reported there wasn't a military presence. The intentional targeting of educational institutions is considered a war crime. Russia has used the August 4th Amnesty International report to justify attacking civilian targets and the continued occupation of the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant. Finishing up today's podcast with the economic news, as of Monday, 33 cargo ships have left Ukrainian ports carrying grain, meal, and sunflower oil. A total of 721,000 tons of cargo has been shipped since Russia and Ukraine agreed to unblock Black Sea ports. The ruble was flat, with an exchange rate of 60 rubles for one U.S. dollar. Oil climbed on news that the United States Strategic Oil Reserve had dropped to a 35-year low. WTI crude jumped to $92 a barrel, while Brent rose to $98 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline dropped to $2.92 a gallon, or $0.77 a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures climbed to $0.79 a bushel for December 2022 delivery, continuing to trade at pre-war levels. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.